Greetings and welcome to Gnosis, Episode 1. Today I'm happy to have an amazing guest, Mr. Adrian Charles Smith. He's the author of the book, A Prison for the Mind, Reflections of a Disappointed Fundamentalist. From the back page of the book, the publishing blurb, it states, What does it mean to be a fundamentalist? What are its common characteristics and defining features? Can we escape the prison of ideological commitment? the straitjacket of conformity and groupthink. Answers are needed to avoid the end game of fundamentalism, totalitarian control. Adrian Charles Smith entered adulthood as a minister in a fundamentalist Christian sect, a loyal follower of a man he now calls the Wizard. But as with the Wizard of Oz, all was revealed to be a sham, and his questioning of authority led to excommunication and life in the secular world. Yet once away from the church, he observed fundamentalism in unexpected places, in the corporate world, in science, in economics, in political ideologies, New Age movements, and in postmodern philosophy. Different context, yes, but the same underlying phenomenon, the same adherence to quote-unquote one truth. In these adventurous essays, Smith, with equal amounts erudition, humor, and insight, examines why we are drawn to these fundamentalist approaches. His search ranges from the caves of Nag Hammadi to the hallways of Ivy League universities, from communist Romania to Sedona, Arizona. He discovers this potential for unconscious relapse to one all-knowing wizard, but eventually realizes that fundamentalists live in isolated camps. The truly free have genuine community and unity in the midst of disagreement is possible. This is a book about fundamentalism and all its pervasive, insidious manifestations. I really love that you're such an interesting juxtaposition. You know, someone who is seeking God wholeheartedly and devoutly joins this community and realizes that you've been kind of pulled into a cult. And then awakening to that, rebuilds yourself as a lawyer. So that's, I've never met anyone like that. <laughs> and uh, I, if you could tell me a little bit more about your journey. And um, also, I'm not sure what type of law do you practice exactly? Well, my background in law is uh, academic. I never actually practiced law, but I uh, am a graduate of the University of London in London, England in law. And it was um, my main interest is the philosophy of law and constitutional law. And I found that my studies and my interests are very relevant to everything that's happening in fundamentalism. I did in uh, one of my recent blogs talk about some of the philosophy of law, the concept of natural law versus uh, the what they call legal positivism, which is the, um, the command of the sovereign. So is law force or is it morality? And natural law is something that is some coming to me as something very relevant to everything that's happening around us now. Yes, natural law. And, that, and that's an interesting topic. There's uh, a, an author here in the States named Mark Passio. Uh, his own credentials are somewhat dubious. He's actually a former Satanist, so maybe he's your uh, bizarro inverted clone. <laughs> but, but he has lectured uh, uh, in, uh, for years now on natural law and, and you know, bringing morality back to the law. Of course, what's yes. happening... In Canada yeah. is completely it's, immoral. Exactly. Yeah. And so, the, yeah. Yes, yes. 
Absolutely. So the argument uh, mm -hmm. is basically the command of the sovereign, uh, orders backed by threats. Right. So it's no different than the 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 uh, mafia boss, you know, shouting out instructions or shouting out orders to his henchmen. <laughs> That's There's what no doing. moral content to it. It's, yes. Whereas natural law says there has to be a, a, a moral content for it to be legitimized. Right. And, and we then, have no obligation to follow an unjust law or an immoral law simply because it's an order backed by some authoritative figure. And um, the, the Nazis found that out the hard way, you know, that the, the defense of I was just following orders just didn't help them when it came to the Nuremberg trials. And the Nuremberg trials themselves were a manifestation of natural law. The legal positivists didn't like it because there was no sovereign. Hmm. Or if there was a sovereign, it was Hitler. And he was the sovereign. He was given the rules. And uh, that more, therefore, that made it uh, okay with them. Right. But that's, those two streams of thought, you know, are are uh, evident in the law as it is practiced and as we see it. Yes, interesting. And it seems the sway between those poles over time. Yeah. And then and then I guess uh, the operative function would be the consciousness of those who are being ruled over who have forgotten their sovereignty. Yes. And so here we are in this great awakening trying to reclaim our birthright uh, to we the people telling the government what it is that they're allowed to do rather than the reverse. And so I, I loved your book. Uh, it's it's fascinating from cover to cover. Uh, you've made the most of your disappointment with fundamentalism, and you've been dealing with the New World Order syndicate in Canada, uh, restricting your rights for going on two years plus, but you could probably make the argument for the last century, uh, but increasingly so in the last you know, two years with this, this whole COVID fundamentalist nightmare that's been uh, drawn across the world. Um, what what do you think the next what, i know you've got the trucker strikes occurring there now uh, what are some what is some positive news that you've seen in developments in regards to you know getting out from this lockdown and getting out from this tyranny in canada uh a number of states have been backing out of their mandates or telling us that they're going to um there have been and will be uh supreme court challenges there's an organization in Canada called the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, and they have initiated um, a um, challenge to the Emergencies Act invocated by the Trudeau government. Um, and there is the only living signatory to Canada's Charter of Rights, Brian Peckford, a former premier of the province of Newfoundland, who has initiated a, a legal action, a charter violation uh, action to the Supreme Court on the very specific issue of travel mandates, because in Canada, anyone who is uh, not injected will uh, not be allowed on any form of transportation, public transportation. So you cannot fly, you cannot get on a boat, you cannot get on a train, uh, um, and that is being challenged. Um, so there are the legal challenges, and we will find out. It's very difficult to see how he cannot win, 
it's very difficult to see how the Emergencies Act could in any way be supported by this, because it requires, the Emergencies Act requires the threat of extreme violence. Mm. And it requires something like a war or an invasion or some threat to public safety and security. And it has never been invoked before. It was, it was, it goes back to 1988. The predecessor act was the war measures act of, um, 1914. The War Measures Act was ironically invoked by uh, Justin's father, Pierre Trudeau, in 1970, when there was um, kidnappings, murders, bombings uh, from the Quebec Liberation Front, a terrorist organization, uh, and he invoked it during that time. But the Emergencies Act that replaced it in 1988, never been invoked, not during 9-11, not during a major protest that shut down Canada's railway system for weeks. The economy was paralyzed, but it was a, it was the protest, the kind of protest that uh, the government agreed with, which was uh, to do with energy development mm. in the West. So at that time, there was no, there was negotiation. The government sent in a negotiator and we worked our way through it. But in this occasion, there was no negotiation, zero, nothing. Wow. And at a time when mandates were being rolled off internationally, even domestically, the government, the Trudeau government piles on with an additional mandate for truckers who spend their lives in isolation in a, in a cab, in a truck, uh, to quarantine for two weeks when they cross the border from the United States into Canada. And I guess that just triggered uh, something that, uh, and the rest is, is history. <laughs> yes. And it's been going on. Yeah. And it's been happening about two weeks now, I think two or three weeks. Yeah, that's right. Probably we're in a third week of it now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Do you have an idea of some of the numbers of truckers present in Canada? And are they are they clustered around Ottawa in particular? They're everywhere. Uh, when the when the protests began, the convoys were converging from all directions. But the one from out west was on the Trans Canada Highway was uh, forty five miles long. Wow! So but there might have been a million people showing up in Ottawa. Incredible. And one of the most entertaining protests you could possibly imagine, you know, is there was, they set up hot tubs, saunas, <laughs> barbecues, <laughs> tarot readings, uh, massages, bouncy wow. castles for the kids. I mean, it was like a giant um, festival. Temporary city. Wow. And, and trucks from everywhere. And uh, they were feeding the homeless and they were, the, the food banks are full in Ottawa and they had to uh, spread out to areas outside of Ottawa to donate to the food banks because of all the food that was being donated and the fuel. And the police started to try to shut off the food and the fuel, but it didn't work. Uh, and they made it, uh, made it illegal to give food and fuel. And one of those orders backed by threats, you know, there's, you know, there's no law. Yeah. 
no moral law against feeding people and giving them fuel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's wow. one of those orders backed by threats. So uh, what happened was, uh, in response to that, thousands and thousands of people were carrying around empty jerry cans <laughs> around the city. I'm Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, it was oh, very, it was very exciting. It was very, uh, everybody was very um, jubilant, you know, and hopeful. That's a beautiful development in spite of these, these monsters trying to essentially enslave us all to some type of techno-utopian grid. The people yeah. have come together and they're supporting one another and they have to reveal the, the true monstrosity behind the scenes, their fundamentalist nature. Yeah. And and your book uh, does an incredible job of revealing this is really the ultimate fundamental issue uh, behind these types of totalitarian drives in society. And it's this inability to to cede power, to hear different perspectives. And I, so I wanted to ask you, how, how do you define fundamentalism and how do you see it as relating to the concept of gnosis? Well, I um, have a very particular idea about fundamentalism. It might not be the commonly accepted one, but let me just tell you what how I use the word in the book and in the context of my book. Um, I would say that uh, the way I use fundamentalism is that it is inexorably linked to the exercise of power. And in the exercise of power, the fundamentalists will try and link a religion to their exercise of power in order to give it a pious face. Yes. And in order to give themselves a legitimacy because they are morally superior hmm. enlightened beings, you know. Um, so it's seizing the moral high ground. I would see, see fundamentalism as being an empty shell. So it's uh, the form of godliness without the content zero content, the empty vessel. And we can see the template of it in the Pharisees of the New Testament. Um, and it's, it's like a pattern that has repeated itself and continues to repeat itself. I, I compare it to a fractal pattern. A fractal pattern is a particular pattern in nature that uh, there is a repeat, repeating pattern, but in a different form. But it's the same thing essentially. So the analogy would be a head of broccoli. So if you clip off a little piece of the broccoli, the tiny piece that you've clipped off doesn't have the same shape as the head, but it's the same thing. Right. So what I've what I'm talking about in my book is that fundamentalism is not confined to what we normally think of as being um, people who take the Bible literally. I'm not talking about your average churchgoer or even your average uh, churchgoer who takes things literally, um, because there's usually some moral content in what they are doing. Um, there's a phrase in the, in the secret book of John that describes the work of the Demiurge. We'll get into the Demiurge, but... Uh, it's anti-maimon pneuma, and the phrase means um, counterfeiting spirit. Mm. 
So what I'm talking about here is a counterfeiting spirit, but there's more to the phrase than that. It's a counterfeit that actually goes contrary to the thing that it's trying to counterfeit. So it's like an inversion. Yes. It takes on the form of the religion. Take Constantine and Christianity. Constantine adopts Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire, but then inverts it. So the Prince of Peace becomes an instrument of empire or of conquest. Constantine sees a vision of the cross with the inscription by this conqueror. The Constantine and the Roman Empire take upon themselves the form of a pious uh, face that justifies, you say, exterminating the Cathars or mm. laying siege to cities. And people just are not able to, to see what's happening because they can only see the piety. And I think to themselves, well, it must be right or it must be good. There must be a reason for it. How could this, these pious people, these priests, support such a thing? It reminds me a little bit of the Milgram experiment. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's um, yes. It's where there was a um, an experiment done where people in white coats were administering um, electrical shocks to people in response to questions, and if they got the questions wrong, there was an admin, uh, a shock administered. But the people that were the end, uh, the pointed end of this were uh, actors. So when they administered a shock, the person would scream, and then they would be instructed to administer ever increasing dosages of electricity at the instructions of a person in a white coat with a clipboard. It's fine. It's it's all right. Don't worry. This is all part of the experiment. It's 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 all taken care of. You know. Yeah. And an amazing number of people delivered what would have been lethal doses of electricity because they thought it came from an authoritative source. So that's what's going on with fundamentalism and with the religion that it adopts to give itself that moral high ground. It's all about capturing the moral high ground. So I have related fundamentalism to things that are not even religious, you know, that, that could be uh, the fundamentalism of science, or it could be uh, the fundamentalism of uh, political doctrine or economic doctrine, or, and most recently, I would say the mother of all cults is the postmodernist religion. Um, and here again, we'll be able to see um, postmodernism as an inversion of the original postmodernist philosophy. But postmodernism, to, to put it in a nutshell, would be um, the philosophy would be there's no such thing as a, an ob objective reality. There's no such thing as truth. Uh, that everything is a person's perceptions and mm. is no morality or, or is no um, reality to be discovered. Whereas the Enlightenment philosophers, John Locke and David Hume, the age of reason, the basic assumption there was that there is an external reality to be discovered. And it is discoverable by um, reason and debate 
and the scientific method, or in legal terms, the rules of evidence in court. There's a truth out there to be discovered. Yes. Uh, but the modern day postmodernists have uh, taken something which was originally had some sense to it, that we don't necessarily discover the world by reason alone, but we can discover the world, say, by intuition or by um, hmm. our own Inside. mystical experiences. These are avenues to truth as well. But the postmodernists have inverted it to say there is no truth at all. Hmm. Whereas, um, you know, the, the, the Gnostic would say, well, there's many paths up the mountain to get to the top of the mountain, or you can blaze your own trail up the mountain. Yes. But there's still a mountain. It's <laughs> <No. laughs> the same mountain. Yes. You discovered by different means. <laughs> or there's an old teaching story about a village of blind people that uh, are trying to figure out what an elephant is, you know. Hmm. And one person would have the perception by touching its leg that it was a tree trunk or by another person by tr touching the, the tail, they'd say it was a snake or by touching the trunk, it was a hollow pipe or something like that. But uh, so there is this aspect of postmodernism that is true that everybody's got their own little piece of the puzzle. Everyone's got their own perception and then nobody's seeing the whole elephant, but still, a valid form of postmodernism would say, well, there's still an elephant, you know, there. There's a whole elephant to be discovered. But the po modern postmodernism does not uh, allow for that. It uh, says How that interesting. Can. But if you take that philosophy of modern-day postmodernism to say there is no such thing as truth, then there can be no lies. Yes. There can be no lies. So what you find is people who adopt this philosophy actually lie so much because any can, anything they can say is automatically true because right. it's true for them. Yes. And so you cannot actually reason. You cannot actually uh, engage in a debate because they don't believe in it because they believe that everybody has their own truth, you see. There's nothing right. to be discovered here. So the reason that when you get in a, you cannot really engage in a debate with a postmodernist because uh, they will instantly go to denunciation. There's no such thing as truth. And therefore, there's no use talking. So what there is left, what you're left with is a power struggle. Right. It's all power relations. And it's all about oppressor versus oppressed. So on, they only understand things in those terms. So that, uh, their idea is to get power in the situation. So you may notice when you're uh, watching a so-called debate between a postmodernist and someone who is not a postmodernist, from the get-go, it goes to denunciation. Wow. You may that, uh... notice that. Yes. Oh, wow. So one of the characteristics of fundamentalism, I, one of the common characteristics of it that I allude to a lot is the, the demonization of the opposition. They instantly go to the demonization of the opposition. And yes. words mean whatever they say they mean. 
So violence can mean anything. Right. Uh, it can it can mean well you what you said upset me, uh, therefore it's huh. violence. You know. <laughs> right. And even and with this pervasiveness of, of of postmodernism, you're even seeing it creeping into the law. Um, I refer in the book to um, perception-based recording of hate crimes. Wow. So if someone perceives you as being hateful or in order to uncover the hateful component of a hate crime, you are not to challenge the person who's making the accusation because that's their reality. So with that, you see a subversion of the legal process. You see someone who has made an accusation is automatically right. So this idea of innocent and proven until proven guilty is being eroded away by the pervasiveness of this uh, philosophy. That's incredible, and yeah, and that's what we've seen playing out with microaggressions and you know the the Me Too movement, which was really just a way to take take the attention away from pedophilia and sex trafficking and put it on something you know more tolerable, uh, uh, a sexual assault against women by and large. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, fascinating because this kind of solipsistic, satanic inversion of all principles where subjectively they can dominate any conversation. Immediately it becomes a, a battle to see who is more pious and all the piety is, is supposed and imagined instead yeah. of actualized. So it's very, it's very self-contained and uh, destructive by nature. And yeah, so, and here and here we very are. Corrosive. Just, corrosive very corrosive, corrosive of the cult of the culture. Absolutely. And you know, there's a going back to the Pharisees. Jesus called them whited sepulchers. <laughs> outwardly, they appear righteous and pious and woke now, but inwardly, right. full of rottenness and dead men's bones. You know, on the inside, there's nothing there. It's just all this pious uh, posturing. Yes. The whited sepulchers. So it's all about uh, attaching itself to political power. Yes. Always has been. And it didn't even begin with the Pharisees. There was the priestly caste of the Old Testament and before that, you know. Uh, so there's nothing new in it. It's, it's pervasive and it's always been with us. As Philip K. Dick says, the empire never ended. Wow. So this is truly the fundamental issue of our time, which is whether or not we can identify this and understand its nature and then come up with checks and balances to avoid this ever happening again. Yeah, that's our hope. That's our hope, because, you know, with this, this COVID pandemic, really a scamdemic, the elite have, have weaponized this to the point of global takeover. And they have, you know, they're trying to roll out. God knows what's in the vaccines. It could be some type of first of all, modifying your DNA, second of all, making you a potential antenna to receive Wi-Fi via 5G that could manipulate your consciousness and hijack us all. Mm -hmm. And so it is It is in, intense to look back to, say, the Nakamadi period and see them warning of this, the spiritual warfare, and here we have it manifesting and merging with silicon in a way that could essentially uh, terraform all of us. Yes, which kind of takes us into another form of fundamentalism, uh, scientism, and uh, uh, yeah. transhumanism. Um, another common characteristic of fundamentalism is the utopian vision. Right. 
you see it in Marxism, you see it in uh, now in this transhumanist agenda, which is through merging with machine, man and machine, and the use of technology will enter a period which will be a golden age where we can conquer death, where we can cure all disease. And this is going to be the, like in the church that I belong to, they called it the wonderful world tomorrow if uh, we only signed up for the utopian agenda. The utopianism of that time was obedience. If we must obey all of God's laws. And the reason everything's going to hell in the world is because people aren't obeying God's laws. Therefore, if we can find out what God's laws are and obey them, then we can have happy marriages and well-behaved children and no longer will we have sickness amongst us. You know, the same basic thing, you know, just repeating itself in a clever disguise. And the challenge for me has been to um, recognize these clever disguises. So when I came out of it, of course, I was inoculated against uh, that thing or anything similar to it. But then it starts showing up in clever disguises in different places that are unrecognizable. And then after a while you say, hey, this, this is giving me a very familiar feeling here. I'm starting to get a sense of deja vu. You know? <laughs> and it was the repeating pattern in a different guise, scientism. Yes. You know, and um, transhumanism. All these things are offering us a utopian vision of the future yes so they have to they have to sell us in a, in a naive idealized state future state where if we just give up our sovereignty they, yeah. they'll they'll sucker us and take care of us for all, any of all fears and concerns are, are going to be handled by big daddy state that's right yes and big daddy state then becomes the new god yes <laughs> you don't get rid of religion by banning it uh, you know so they ban religion but then they have a new religion and a new god that's right. God being the state. Yes. The, the latest scheme. Yeah. And interesting. So you, you, uh, how old were you when you joined your, the church that you built? Oh my, I was only 14 when I started getting into it. I was really naive and, um, I was a very, there was a very charismatic leader who I call the wizard. Mm. And, uh, he was, something that a young man would somebody who a young man would admire right a very charismatic and um the introduction to it wasn't uh, religious it was a secular glossy magazine that eased you into it very gently um and then i joined their church and from there i went to their college which is a liberal arts college i graduated from there with a an undergraduate degree in theology. Um, I went into the ministry, didn't last too long in the ministry. Um, I was basically fired for um, insubordination, um, which really meant that I was teaching things that they didn't like. And when I refused to stop doing that, they fired me from my job as a minister. And then when they insisted that I not communicate my heretical thoughts to other members of the congregation, and I refused to do that, they essentially excommunicated me from the church. And so mm. no one at, at that point was able to communicate with me. 
Wow. So, so it you was were, a huge trauma. Uh, not only banished. banished, but <laughs> you know, the thing that you had uh, invested a lot in, in terms of your relationship with the Almighty, yes, was so utterly disappointing. And then it's been a, been a long time sort of working my way through that in the aftermath to it. Yes, I can, I can imagine and I can actually uh, relate. Um, I'll be explaining more about my own experience with my own encounters with these, these charismatic wizards who presume to have all the answers and understand the path. And then as you peek behind the curtain, you realize that most of their identity is, is a projection of their ego and that their their supposed moral tenets are really just a, a, a means to an end. Yes. Yeah, yes. the empty vessel. The... <laughs> yes, the empty can rattles the most. It's been <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> wow. So that that's that's fascinating. So from age fourteen, and really, uh, I, I, you described in the book how yourself and and some of your friends there truly had this passion to serve and to to. Oh yeah. To, to devote yourselves truly. So yeah, absolutely. And so it's even more disconcerting because that energy is so precious and for it to be uh, manipulated and exploited by someone <sighs> who's, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it could be, most people may not recover. And so I hope this podcast, I hope this interview will help those out there. If you've, if you've run into these types of characters in your own life, that you'll find some, some uh, inspiration from Adrian's path and my own to just keep moving forward and, and individuate from those who would, you know, want you to be a minion to their the, to their own ends and desires rather than what they had postured and presented, which is that they had a, a higher calling that they wanted to enlist your services with. But in the reality, it was just a kind of like a covert agenda to satisfy their own egoic drives and desires. Yes. So let's see. So, uh, all right, moving forward. Uh, this is from chapter four, Fundamentalism and Science. And it's a quote that says, the biggest scientific delusion of all is that science knows the answers. And uh, I'm just going to read a bit from the book here. It says, when I read the Wizards College Prospectus, it invited students to think for themselves, to study and prove all things. We were led to believe it was an institution of higher learning dedicated to free thought and open-minded inquiry. When it became clear that we had only been invited to prove the wizard right and to think for ourselves only insofar as it conformed with church doctrine, the easiest way out was to forget the earlier promise in order to fit in and avoid being labeled a heretic. So you ran into the peer pressure of the mob, the, the mass mind being weaponized against you. And so that, of course, adds to the drama. And, and we see the corollary in this mask you know, scamdemic, where if you're not accepting the mark of the beast, if you're not wearing a mask that's been proven to be completely insufficient to stop any virus, let alone that it's never been isolated. Uh, so these are these are absolutely uh, fundamental issues that we have to address because this is how they've been able to control mankind since time immemorial. And uh, using phrases like trust the science, you know, it's totally... Uh, oppositional to the to the to the real imperative of science which is open-minded inquiry uh being willing to challenge results and being forced to re reproduce them independently uh, so i wanted to ask you uh how do you see this as it relates to the concept of gnosticism of the archons and how would you define the archons uh well archons simply means rulers or authorities 
Yes. Uh, I would see this as a pyramid that um, there are different layers. Uh, there are kings and presidents and prime ministers. These are mostly puppets. But on top of that, you have um, organizations like BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street, which are giant hedge funds who have major ownership positions in all corporations. And I think the top of the pyramid in human terms is probably the financial sector. Uh, Amschel um, Rothschild said um, in the 1800s, um, give, me, give me control of a country's money supply and I care not who makes the laws. So it's all about the money. Yes. And we're even seeing that now played out in the aftermath to the Ottawa protest is that the ultimate weapon has been to freeze bank accounts hmm. and the emergencies powers legislation enables the government to freeze anybody's bank account anywhere in Canada without oversight, without recourse. Jeez. So people who have had their, who have made donations to the trucker convoy protest are having their bank accounts frozen. When you think about that, that is the ultimate form of dependency. Yes. You cannot get to your bank account. You cannot pay your mortgage. You cannot pay your bills. The only thing that you have left is any cash that you might have on your possession or perhaps gold and silver or whatever. Uh, but of course they're trying to get rid of cash. So the ultimate yes. control mechanism will be the money. Just turn your bank account off because you're a dissident. You have the wrong ideas and now you're That's impoverished it. immediately. You're, you're, you're screwed right off the bat. You're screwed. Good <laughs> luck with yeah. you're, you're relegated to third world status instantaneous. instantaneous. So carrying on up the hierarchy, well, what's behind that? I tend to think myself, I believe in the, in the Christian concept of wicked spirits in high places. Yes, uh, we're in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual battle, uh, and uh, so it doesn't end with human beings. I don't think other people disagree with that, but uh, that's my view of it anyway. So I see the archons as being real spiritual entities. Yes, I agree. Inter and interdimensional entities, fallen angels—they could go by a lot of different terms of this world might you might say very good mm -hmm. uh, i mean it's it's becoming more and more apparent that there is something absolutely insidious and wicked behind the scenes you can see it in the eyes of these puppets people like you know trudeau or peter strock have you seen the the footage of peter strock when he's being forced to testify and he he has the duping delight of a psychopath he's he's kind of like squirming in his seat with like a uh, sick joy at the fact that He's getting attention and supply. Oh, it's, yeah. It's oh, really something. Talking about. Yeah. So I've they are. It. You have seen it. It's I've something seen it exactly. That's sort of a delight. Yes. They do. Yeah, they, they're laughing at you. They're it's laughing. The, they, think it's, so, they think it's amusing. Yes. It's sadism. 
their sadism, their hatred, and their desire to see us suppressed gives Here's them another joy. one for you. The one, uh -huh. of the one of the threats. Now, this protest in Ottawa was like family day. Hmm. A lot of these truckers, they just have a pet for company when they go on these long haul trips. Part of the threat to them was that they were going to take their pets and euthanize them. Oh, my God. People who didn't have perhaps the normal family life, but all they had was their pet. Yes. And you know, this is true, true wickedness. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, parallels to psychopathy, narcissism, yeah. Yeah. a lot of the personality disorders that are most associated with the, the so-called 1%. Uh, so perhaps our species is ruled over since the beginning of time by forces who have infiltrated and aligned with the darkest power imagined as a satanic embodiment or principle of evil. And the Gnostics seem to have been revealing that in a way that uh, the, the Catholic Church and others have totally suppressed. Yes. And are there any documents in particular as it relates to Gnosticism that render that most most evident or clear? Or are there any books that have most inspired you in this understanding, more holistic Christian understanding of what these principalities truly represent? And yeah, they, mm -hmm. yes, please go on. I would say the secret book of John is one of my favorites. Uh, the, the Stefan Davies translation with an excellent commentary. Uh, that was, a, that's a really good one. I really like the gospel of Thomas and, uh, Gnosticism can be understood by uh, reading the works of uh, famous Gnostics. Uh, Philip K. Dick, for example, is um, a self-avowed or was a self-avowed Gnostic. And he, uh, he really illuminates Gnosticism through his works and movies that are based on his works, like uh, Minority Report and Blade Runner. Mm. Um, and you'll see in a lot of these films, a theme emerges that the reality that you think is real isn't real. The person that you're married to, who you think is your loving wife, is actually not. You know, The reality that you've come to accept as every day is something that needs to be challenged. Yes. Uh, I also like the works of Carl Jung. Anything by Carl Jung is very Gnostic. He was also a self-proclaimed Gnostic. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Okay. And well, I'll just say this much. If anybody wants to find out uh, what Gnosticism is all about, uh, I do have a bibliography on my blog site, which is a, a prison for the mind dot blog with books and links to sites like uh, uh, thegodabovegods.com, Miguel Connor. Miguel Connor is the go-to place for uh, all things Gnostic research Agreed. books. <laughs> and, Miguel's great. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and a living example of what a Gnostic looks like, I think. Yes. Because he interviews a lot of people with a lot of different views, and he doesn't agree with all of them by any stretch of the imagination but he is extremely welcoming of other points of view and accepting of them. And that's is, what he, I love about him. Absolutely. I've, I've yeah. seen him 
multiple times and sometimes mm -hmm. i've actually been been worried uh because he's been interviewing certain satanists uh, yeah. getting their perspective and to me you know that, that raises the hair on my neck a little bit because i know i know it's, it has <laughs> had dilemmas with certain individuals uh, i i and i i understand the, the source of the dilemma he wants to you know entertain all points of view but yeah. the last thing he wants is censorship but there is a place where you have to draw the line and no one wants to do that yes uh, wonderful, wonderful teacher, Miguel is. He's been at this for uh, at least 15 years plus, and of course, all the time previous. And he's one of the most entertaining. He, he's got an, a, an incredible sense of humor, and 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 he, he's uh, just the spirit he provides to the work. I think is uh, very instructive as to how we should all proceed. It's just you know we're going to disagree in certain things, but overall, we're trying to understand the great mystery together. So all sides should be heard and included. Mm -hmm. uh, and as it relates to consciousness, uh, I'm quoting from you here, uh, on the double slit experiment, it is necessary for an observer to bring reality to, into existence, which mirrors the aboriginal belief that we dream reality, reality into existence. So I wanted to ask you, what techniques or tools might the modern neo-gnostic apply uh, to be able to bend reality to a better end than those of the archons of the day and their the techniques that they've used by and large ma mainstream media okay um there's a verse that comes to me from the gospel of thomas if you bring forth that which is within you that which is within you will save you hmm. if you do not bring forth that which is within you what you do not bring forth will destroy you so the the emphasis in gnosticism as a technique of uh, spiritual development and evolution is to go within and to bring forth that which is within you to find your truth within you and to express it so it's very much related to artistic expression and so I think I would say to anyone, develop the artistic side. So this is where um, positive side of postmodernism comes in. Before it got inverted by the postmodernists of the 1960s, um, that you, there is an avenue to truth that is, can be a mystical experience, but it wouldn't be just your own truth. It would be, as we were discussing earlier about natural law, you would be accessing something that is universal. Mm. The mountain that we climb, it's a real mountain, although there's different paths up it. But the avenue to it is yourself. And that is the Gnostic approach. Don't go to look to some external authority to tell you what the truth is, uh, but discover it for yourself through your own revelation your own yes. interior revelation. So I think, you know, if you were to consider uh, someone being trained by another artist, for example, learning to be an artist, that person would want you as soon as possible to develop your own artistic creation. To, they would be encouraging that to bring it forth from you. They wouldn't be telling you what good art is. Right. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, they would be encouraging you to be the best that you could be and to express yourself in that way. So that would be 
a good technique. Um, everyone has their own way of climbing the mountain. Uh, for me, I like to be in nature. I like to work in the woods. I like to do uh, forestry, plant trees, build trails, bridges. And when I do that, do the thing that I love or I, and I enjoy, I'm doing that for a while. I'll sometimes sit back and say to myself, wow, that's been two hours where I haven't been thinking about anything negative or anything worrying or any anxieties that I might have. Or, and so anything that you can do to get yourself away from these sad stories that we tell ourselves all the time, these memes that rob us of our energy um, and the various spiritual techniques like uh, meditation or different kinds of meditation. I'm not big on, on sitting meditations because for one thing at my age, I don't like sitting around too much because I'm always sitting around. And so I like moving meditations more. I do Tai Chi, Excellent. yoga. Everybody would find their own thing that works for them. Yes. But I can tell Very you what well. I do. But that's not for everybody. You know. Well, the, the uh, Bruce Lee is one of my all-time idols mm -hmm. and uh, instructors, and that was something that he continuously advises that you know find your own way. You know, his whole art form, the uh, Jeet Kune Do, his philosophy, it, it really instructed you to be an individual and to find yeah. your own path. Right. Understand yeah. that everyone was absolutely different in their own way and, and had their own insights. So. In, in your book also, I, I, you visited a place called Crater Lake in Southern Oregon, and you had something like uh, an epiphany there. Would you like to explain a little bit of that spiritual experience and how it's maybe changed you or uh, inspired you? Yes. Well, the background to that was that I was visiting sacred sites. I was on something that you might call a pilgrimage. Uh, I was looking for it. I was looking for inspiration, looking for guidance and I really recommend the idea of a pilgrimage to some sacred place or some sacred site. It sort of sets your, it, it sets your intention. Mm -hmm. So mentally you're prepared for it. In the context of that too, I've been doing a lot of things. I've been doing sweat lodges with Native Americans and sunrise ceremonies with the Shoshone people and experimenting in a lot of different things, a lot of different cultures. I'm very left-brained and I was doing some very, not very left-brained things for a long time. And this was setting me up, I think, for something of this nature. Uh, it, was a, it was an experience of, um, that just came over me one evening out of the blue in the context of what I was talking about. And it was just like a complete sense of well-being that I'd never experienced in my entire life. And that it was like a revelation that this was the ultimate reality. Mm. Tears came to my eyes uh, and an overwhelming sense of gratitude. And there was no, you know, beautiful, no angels appearing or, you know, apparitions or anything like that. It was just a period where I was felt like I had apprehend, apprehended mm. a certain background state of reality that was there and I somehow stumbled on it. And it was just uh, glorious. Yes. The only thing that was sort of somewhat paranormal about it, perhaps, was an inner voice or a voice that seemed to be speaking to me that said, 
uh, you should be, you will be grateful for this and you should remember it. Wow. But you will soon be returning to your normal state, but remember it. Yes. And that's been the case. I, I can remember it, but I can't reproduce it at will. But yes. uh, that's how I've treated it. And oh, yes, yeah, so the sad stories that you've been making your life miserable is, you know, they're not real. It's, oh. not, it's just you. It's just yeah. your mind, you know, making up shit. <laughs> <laughs> or interpreting stuff, you know, these wow. sad stories. And so, you know, these sad stories seem really real to me, you know, the, the reason to be miserable and anxious, <laughs> afraid, it all seems rather real. <laughs> yes. Uh, this voice is telling me, no, 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 it's not real. This That's is real. That's profound. I love it. So, um, like a rebirth. This background state of reality does not depend on where you are, how you feel. So you might feel like it's not there or you, but that doesn't change anything. You can't get away from this, you know, you yes. can't escape this. And I think one day we'll all return to that. Wow. From this place of, of uh, confusion. And yes. lies and self-deceptions. You know, you can be your own fundamentalist preacher, you know. That's right. Take all the evidence that supports your sad theory or your sad story right. and throw out all the evidence to the contrary that we do it all the time, you know. It's true. And it's something like the ego, you know, it's it's uh, this this quantum computer persona that can siphon all of the energy and the in the inputs of your senses and reroute them to its own uh, mm -hmm. its own gestation and, and feeding and becoming disconnected from it through these spiritual practices seems to be the goal and then what is there is that epiphany that that land where you you have a blank slate where you're just perception you're just the the witness and that witness is able to recalibrate somehow so that you know diseases can sub, you know uh instantaneously dissolve in some people mental and otherwise so the healing that christ was able to perform may have been a result of him attaining higher levels of consciousness and bringing other people into that field yeah and i think yeah absolutely I think a way of looking at it yeah and a real church i think does that for people so to miguel's credit i think he's built a church that is so open-minded that and no one's excluded and i commend him for that because i've always felt incredibly welcome listening to him i've always felt uh, heard and the Gnostics, you describe how in their, in their spaces, it was non-hierarchical. They, they realized that everyone had something to contribute to the, to the great story of our being. Yes. And, and that's something I've always thought. And I was somewhat disappointed, to say the least, where you know, I, I helped someone uh, become rather famous and came to realize after the fact that it was very much about them oh, rather, yeah. rather than the medicine that I wanted to manifest for myself and others by creating a space where all ideas could be heard and and in so doing we immediately seem to collapse the waveform to our betterment because now those excluded aspects can be integrated like carl Jung describing with the shadow so yes. if we're going to integrate the mass shadow we have to actually hear one another we have to say look why do we have children huffing paint and eating cardboard soup in barrios in brazil when we have absolute abundance it's because of this money system, this moan eye, the one eye that yeah. is being fed continuously. And what is it rooted in? 
Babylonian black magical systems, black magic. secret societies uh, yes. such as Freemasonry, and they have their own fundamentalism. They claim that they're going to, through Tikkun Olam, you know, fix the world, the, the world being broken post-flood. But then we've had multiple floods, so it seems like coming to grips with the reality that our world is a battleground and that it could be a threshold for you know advanced souls going to another state or it's the ultimate proving ground where we have to fix the world not by you know uh, i don't know obscuring the dark aspect but integrating saying yeah we we have had clandestine uh, vampirism masquerading through you know with the mask of piety throughout time leading people astray and then getting them hooked in this kind of uh, i guess you'd say uh oh, what am i what am i trying to say here that the substitute for the the epiphany you experience the real knowing you get something like a comfortable lifestyle or a hedonistic supply you know on tap whether it's through uh being uh, notoriety fame, fame. achievement oh, I, I, I know what you mean yeah <laughs> and at the end of the day you know we're here approximately 100 years on average at most so it's really fooling ourselves to think that, you know, such grandiosity is worth much. How many people even know we were here in a yeah, century? Exactly. Yes, we're, we're not as important as we think we are. <laughs> and that's the, that's the terrifying aspect because then so many of these people, they have cults of personality yeah. where they sell you on, oh, yeah, we're going to fix the world. We're going oh, yeah. to change things. But really, they want you to change their bottom line and they want you to change their status. They're just status. Just parasites, <laughs> and they often look like they're they're dealing with parasites themselves. But that's it's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. So let's see. Uh, I, I love this. Uh, the Gnostics appear to enshrine individuality and dismiss hierarchical control games in their gatherings. You describe the spirit of this type of unifying interplay in Chapter Six: Unnatural select, Selection. Thusly, some time ago, I was invited to participate in a men's talking circle based on Native American tradition. Each participant would take turns talking about meaningful and significant personal matters. When someone was speaking, no one else was allowed to interrupt, debate, or argue. The idea was to create a supportive environment in which authenticity and openness was fostered. Each participant would hold a feather and, and during his turn, then pass it to the next person in the circle, the feather indicating who had the floor. Someone in the group was going through a marital separation, and he spoke of the sadness and loneliness he was experiencing. At first, I was quite reluctant. What would I say? I began by recounting the events of that week and their impact on my life. It wasn't much at first, but a lot, excuse me. It wasn't much at first. I lost my, I scrolled for a second. Uh, da, 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 da. It wasn't much at first, but the feather would soon return and I would always have another chance to say more. A lifetime of religious, political, and corporate indoctrination had produced within me an extreme caution about speaking my mind or revealing myself too much. I was suspicious of the notion that I would not be judged or criticized. Even though reluctant at first, something about this experience felt right. What a contrast with those feelings of dread and discomfort on my first day at the Wizards College. It dawned on me. This is exactly how the Gnostics arranged their meetings. Each person would speak about their own revelations, inspirations, dreams, or visions in an atmosphere of complete non-judgment and acceptance. There were no doctrines to impose from high, no debates about the correct way of seeing things. The circle is a symbol of unity and equality. This creates a kind of sacred space where amazing things can happen and a bond of unity can be forged. Since then, I have had an ambition, unrealized as yet, to erect an authentic Native American teepee on our land. I have envisioned people sitting around the teepee fire 
freely expressing themselves one by one. Where the spirit flows freely, who knows what will be revealed? And you relate this type of non-authoritarian model for voluntary interaction among individuals was anathema to the ambitions of those who co-opted proto-Christianity or Gnosticism and then sought to suppress any records of this movement from the history books. And they did this because they wanted to prevent nonconformists seeking their own gnosis from becoming awake to their schemes, to their plans to essentially make you subservient to their ambitions. And so truly, this is the microcosmic individual imperative that we have to manifest what is within in order to overcome these types of archontic forces, lest we be enslaved by them. And so I wanted to ask you, you discussed the law of personal sovereignty. How do you see that as relating to the hero's journey? And what do you think are the, the wizards of this world, so to speak, here to prompt us to that evolutionary imperative? Is that, is that your perspective now more so? Yeah, I'm, I'm going that way. I'm leaning in that direction that they are actually agents of our awakening. Mm. That we are complicit in our own deception. Yes. That they require our permission. Mm. And that when we withdraw our permission, we start living our own authentic truth, live according to your purpose, your divine purpose, discover what that purpose is and live it. That's yes. why I love animals. I adore animals because they are just beavers cut down trees. You know, they know what they're here for. <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> Groundhogs dig holes. <laughs> I got one digging holes around my house and I think surely there's enough holes here now, but no, no, no. They do, they're going to keep on digging, no matter what you do. You know? <laughs> they're totally themselves. Yes. So living your authentic, your authentic self is, uh, is the way forward. Beautiful. And, and ultimately that's what, this is what this, this challenge is now is like, you know, people who are wearing a mask, it's, it's so, the symbolism is just so apparent. It's literally on our faces. You know, will you be yourself or will you wear a mask? You'll hide. Yeah. You'll will hide. You hide. Yeah. It's a talisman. It's yes. a symbol of subservience and obedience. That's right. It serves no, absolutely no purpose. That's it's right. Like you know, the, uh, I think the uh, the the virus is like uh, three microns, and the mm. a hole in the fabric is like sixty microns. You know, it's like trying to stop a sandstorm with a chain link fence. Right. So, uh, and why would you be upset that someone else wasn't wearing a mask because you're protected, right? So, what do you care what if somebody else wears? But you get people freaking out. Yes. that someone else is not wearing a mask like yeah, some that is... psychotic break or something <laughs> that's what it is it mm -hmm. is, and it's really this is this is the human condition mm -hmm. you know throughout throughout time we have people that they've allowed themselves to be hacked and hijacked mm -hmm. by some supposed you know authority mm -hmm. and then rather than reconcile that within themselves and stand on their own two feet they essentially look to dominate others who are reminding them of that essential failure to individuate. Yeah, and I, I wrote down a, a quote from the Matrix movie, the original one, hmm. that uh, is right to this point. You have to understand most of these people the un, the, are not ready to be unplugged. Right. 
And many of them are so inured, so hopelessly dependent on the system that they will fight to protect it. Right. So they, when, you, when they see someone that is not plugged in as they are, it makes them angry. That's right. It says the matrix is a system, Neos. The system is our enemy. But when you're inside, you look around. What do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters. The very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still part of that system. And that makes them our enemy. Hmm. Because they're going to be very angry with you. Yes. Perhaps it holds up a mirror. You know, I'm going along with this. I shouldn't be going along with it. And subconsciously, they recognize that. And immediately what happens when you're banished or excommunicated is that you are put on your walkabout. You're put on a pilgrimage back to yourself. Yeah. And it can be harrowing, but that harrowing journey is actually what's going to ready you for your ultimate purpose. And so avoiding the, the spiritual path is uh, is forsaking your own divinity. And I see it, you know, I see, uh, here I'm uh, been here in Texas for a minute, walking around Austin, and it's the same in Atlanta, it's the same in New York, you know, you see young people working for Whole Foods, which is Amazon, which is CIA, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> and, you know, they they conveniently provided it's, it's interesting how they cooked all of us slow cooked this where Okay, everyone, you get it instead of a snow day, like you miss a day from school, you get a snow year. Everyone gets time off from work. So, oh my God, yeah. How many people chomping at the bit to just be able to relax finally out of the grind? But, and then, oh, well, you know what? You can just order groceries. You don't have to touch anybody. You don't have to be within six feet of anyone. You don't have to make eye contact, contact anymore. You can just let Amazon provide for you all that you need. And speaking of Philip K. Dick, uh, actually, Amazon created a uh, science fiction miniseries, uh, a lot of shorts based on his 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 novellas and other books. Mm-hmm. And in, in one particular episode, they have like Amazon merged with Skynet in the future, and everything is brought to people by drones. But if you're in any way, <laughs> yeah, the same idea. If you're in any way, shape, or form a dissident, you realize that. You know, the, the same drone that's delivering you groceries could just, you know, napalm your entire family into smithereens. And, and here we are. We funded this monstrosity because we're people are afraid to go on this walkabout because you'll have to be you'll have to become the lowly, humbled, you know, uh, outlier who's now disconnected from the grid of sustenance as they see it but it's not true and i and i've been i'll talk to people in the system and i'll say you know you don't have to wear the mask you just protest and by the way osha previous to covid uh none of this was allowed and i'll show them a video of del bigtree who's a phenomenal activist and he did a video with his son where he placed his son in a mask and he showed the osha guidelines for the the amounts of co2 that were considered safe previous to covid and within 30 seconds of wearing this mask, it's it's so beyond their their most egregious offender or the most uh, concentrated CO2, which is most devastating to health. And this young man's you know 10 years old, and he's breathing this toxic air. He's rebreathing bacteria, and mm-hmm. within 30 seconds, it's it's off. I'll I'll plug it in the show, but it's it's off the uh, the charts. And so these are people that have been wearing these masks now for two years for eight hours plus a day and letting their children wear these masks, yeah. which is 
you know, it's going to, it's creating retardation. It's creating uh, social issues because they're not, they're not able to witness uh, micro ticks and other, uh, I guess you'd say nonverbal cues. Mm -hmm. And so here we are uh, because they've conformed, they're being devolved essentially and being made more pliable for the next round of God knows what they have in store for us. So ultimately if you're out there and if you're still wearing a mask, just take it off, just see what happens. You know, don't take it personal if people rail against you. Those aren't your friends. They're asleep in the matrix and you're not. You'll find your tribe if you if you have the courage to step outside of that. But uh, man, the it's... only act of violence that I'm aware of or that I saw on in a video uh, during these recent protests was um, someone trying to run over with his car some of the trucker protesters. <laughs> oh, my God. And, Someone took a picture of it, and he was inside his car. He was wearing a mask. Oh, my God. And you'll see that all the time, people driving around by themselves wearing a mask. Well, yeah, what is that? That's, what uh, is that? Well, I think it's a talisman. Maybe some magical thing will happen to keep them safe from it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I was I'm, in the I hospital. Get... Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, I was in the hospital in the spring and they had me in a mask. The nurse comes around and takes my vitals and she says, oh, my, your oxygen is low. Mm. And she says, take your mask off for a minute. <laughs> and then she takes the reading again. Oh, now you're okay. You know. Wow. <laughs> and then I said, well, that should tell you something. And she says, yeah. But so she's still... She's still plugged into the system and that you've got to give them credit. They've, they've figured out yeah. over the years how to essentially make us uh, obedient in spite of direct evidence that it's impacting our health negatively on every level, mind, body, and spirit. Oh, man. And I saw a video of a mask mandate being lifted in a school and, okay, kids, you can take your masks off now. Oh, you yes. should have seen the eruption of joy. I mean, these kids were jumping up and down and cheering and, oh, what a torment for them for two years to be placed in that. Children are zero risk for, at risk from this virus. Oh, and then you'll see politicians posing next to them without their mask. So the whole thing is just ridicule, dark satire, put oh, it in your face. We're your yeah, owners. Is, look, yeah. look how we treat your children. You're not responsible enough to protect your children from us because you delegate authority to us to raise them, essentially. And my hope with the Great Awakening is that now that it's, it's been compounded on so many levels that people will break three and that also those children will recover and never forget, yes, this is, this is the pain. This is the price of avoiding sovereignty, of avoiding wow. the burden burden is, of your own yeah. individual responsibility. Yeah. yeah. That's my hope. Yeah, we're being steered in the direction of our own sovereignty. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's what's happening. <laughs> so, yeah. I agree. And we have there's so many wake up calls from say 9-11 to yeah. Oh, I mean, I think most if, unless you're just lacking any individual rigor or backbone whatsoever, you have to know that there's something something off about the 9-11 story at this point mm -hmm. yeah and i i worked with an ae911truth.org uh, richard gage and other activists uh, for over a decade and it was nice to see people coming together uh, they actually did a billboard campaign that was in multiple countries they erected three towers of light on the 9-11 anniversary 
on the 10th anniversary to show that Building 7, the third tower, which was not hit by a plane, uh, showed that to the masses who had been totally scrubbed down the memory hole with mainstream media. But it's it's one of these good talismans that can immediately uh, prompt people to see the matrix for what it is, to see the New World Order. And it culminated in, so they they destroyed these two towers, which the whole thing was a satanic ritual. There's a great book, uh, 9-11 as a Mass Ritual by S.K. Bain. I recommend anyone who may uh, be skeptical of that claim, read that book and then get back to me. But what do they do? They Hegelian dialectic, they destroy the two pillars, the gateway. They yeah. synthesize them into the one world tower, which looks like a giant syringe in oh, New York City. Oh my God, yeah. So speaking of talismans, you know, it's all there. It's not hidden. It's all spelled out, isn't it? Yeah. It's all spelled out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, one of these days we'll, we'll awaken. And this might have been, this might be the period where it happens. And speaking of which, you know, tomorrow is the, the anniversary of Pluto's return or birthday. And exactly where Pluto was in the heavens 248 years ago uh, figured the American Revolution, July 4th, 1776. Oh, I was that. Uh, <laughs> Strange it's days. It's a very significant day, isn't it? Yeah. It seems to be that these cosmic cycles, uh, they, they provide opportunity for the dominant egregore or mindset to inform reality and i'm hoping that this shift mm. could provide the catalyst for overcoming these forces hopefully for you know long term maybe and maybe we could finally break three because it seems to be something that has uh, been going on for at least as long as humans have been on this plane that's for sure yes all right that does it for the first hour of this two-part interview of adrian charles smith in the next hour, we discuss a range of topics, including the New World Order's attempted Great Reset and the freedom-seeking counterforce of the Great Awakening, the potential for natural law to destroy the illusional fabrications of legal positivism, historical revisionism, sacred geometry, repeating numbers, paranormal experiences, and sacred site pilgrimages. If you would like to access this, please consider becoming a Gnosis Plus subscriber You'll find all the details in the description for this video, as well as on our website, sacredgeometryinternational.com. For only $7.77 a month, you will receive access to our SGI podcast archive with 37 plus episodes totaling over 111 hours of paradigm-changing Gnosis. Subscribers will also receive full episodes of the Gnosis podcast, access to exclusive content, a complimentary download of the four-hour paradigm-changing film, cosmic patterns and cycles of catastrophe as well as a very shiny hologram logo sticker so hopefully uh, that seals the deal of the logo sticker You had mentioned fractals earlier. Uh, have you ever done much research in the sacred geometry? Yes, I've been looking at your site, which, is, which is the go-to place for sacred geometry. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> and, uh, I'm looking forward to getting some of the uh, audio visuals that you've been putting out to explore more deeply. I have uh, an interest in it. Uh, I've been to Peru and uh, and uh, Brazil and uh, the Middle East and 
especially Peru was really interesting, visiting their sites uh, and looking into the history of the Incas, how, how much they paid attention to the heavens yes. and the cycles in the heavens. Oh, yes. You know, it's just so intriguing. And I've had some experience with astrology um, and with um, the I Ching. Yes. And I've always found it very rewarding. Even in my, my crude forms of divination that I practice myself, I found it quite rewarding. And I get a lot of numbers going on in some of these synchronicities that I experience. And I don't always understand what the numbers mean, but I keep getting these numbers. And I'm, what's going on with that? You know? Oh, yes. You, you brought it up in your book. Was it, what was it, 322 or 323? Two, three, three, two, three, or some iteration of it, five, five, five. I did yes. mention that in the book. Did I had forgotten that I had done that? Yeah. During your, your trip to Sedona, I think uh, you had run into someone who you had met maybe in Connecticut or? Uh, it was the lady who were doing some, uh, we were doing Reiki sharing. All of the things that we did in Sedona were non commercial. So this was just a sharing with friends or likewise with the, hot tubs, not the hot tubs, the uh, hot springs, hot springs is one of them and um, sweat lodges. Yes, all just knowing people getting to talk to native people visiting reservations, getting to know people getting to know how they communicated and what was important to them. Excellent. All these things are have been very rewarding. Oh, yes, I agree. The, the repeating numbers of course, tomorrow is 222, 2022. Hmm. And it and it also coincides with Pluto's return. Uh, so it's 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 you know, an astrologer would say that that has a huge influence potentially on revolutionary potential. And what do we see, of course, the great reset and the great awakening playing out simultaneously mm -hmm. and really reaching a crescendo. And so uh, I think it was actually JP Morgan who said that millionaires don't consider astrology, billionaires do. Yeah. And so on Undoubtedly, there is some magic there between linking heaven and earth. And that seems to be the whole, uh, the, the core of, of the hermetic maxim as above, so below is like light, like lightning. It actually, it's both realms interpenetrating and connecting and manifesting in this sphere. So from below to above the fundament to the firmament, uh -huh. that's where the magical, uh, power is seemingly catalyzed. And so these repeating numbers seem to be some type of breadcrumbs or, you know, angel uh, visitation to let us know we're on a particular path. And uh, so with 323, I think you would, it was your a condo that you would, it showed up for you like four different ways in a row. Yeah, it was a number of different things. I was traveling to Toronto to look after my aging mother to take her to a specialist because she had fallen and broken her arm and she had to go to a specialist as a follow-up appointment. And so when I arrive in Toronto, I look at the hotel room door and it says 323. And then I suddenly instantly recall, well, that's interesting because our condo in Vancouver was 323. Now, the only thing I remember about the significance of that number was that our, the real estate agent says, well, you're lucky to have that number because this place is going to sell because mm. the people from Hong Kong are major buyers and they'd like that number. That would be good. You know, so, <laughs> oh, that's nice. so, so I see the hotel 
has three, two, three. Now I take my mother to the specialist and then I go the, the number on the door of the, the suite number where we went in for the appointment was number three, two, three. Okay. This is getting interesting. You know, then after the appointment was finished, go to the parking lot, pick up my dad's car to take my mother home. And I noticed on the license plate, his license plate was three, two, three. Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and then I'm talking to a psychologist in Moncton who is uh, open to these things, you know, I'm telling her about it. And, and she says, oh, that's interesting. Take a look at my license number for the province of New Brunswick, 323. Wow. So. There's something to it, absolutely. And, and it's, uh, for instance, so the Great Pyramid of Cheops, if you go on Google Earth, anyone can confirm this independently, but they managed to encode the speed of light in three at least three different ways in the structure. One of the easiest to apprehend is you place the, oh, isn't it something? I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those uh, ultimate red pills where you say, look, we've been here a lot longer with a lot more technical sophistication than is allowed as part of the narrative because it upends everything. But if you take the cursor on Google Earth and you center it approximately where the apex of the Great Pyramid would be and note that line of latitude to the ninth place, it's synonymous with the speed of light in meters per second. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. Yeah. Have you ever tried psilocybin mushrooms yourself? Uh, no, no, no problem. Uh, I've, it's been quite some time. I've been I've tried microdosing a bit, uh, but I haven't done like the the purported heroic dose that Terence McKenna was uh, advertising that everyone do. The irony being, he himself was a bit of a charlatan. He wasn't doing that at the time. He was telling everyone else to go big or go home. He was somewhat of a mental wreck. <laughs> and I think it's because, you know, these substances, they know when you're bullshitting. And then they'll kick your ass, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll expose you to yourself. They'll kick your ass. <laughs> so you have to tread lightly in the in those domains. And maybe uh, ancient Christians, I think they were involved using these sacraments, but they can be used negatively also. Uh, Moctezuma, uh, Graham wrote about this in The War God. You know, at the time he was he was calling for 80,000 plus people to be sacrificed at a time. He was imbibing uh, the flesh of the gods, you know, with abandon. And so it was probably completely infested and hijacked by this entity that had, you know, steered him to this to this cause to be his his sacrificial uh, buffet, you know, chef, essentially. And that's a weird part of all this. When you look into, like, have you seen adrenochrome be brought up as it relates to the sex trafficking? No, I haven't. It's very dark and strange stuff. It's the idea is that if you torture someone, the adrenaline. Oh, yes. Now, now you've reminded me. Yes, I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. And apparently. And they, get uh, they get some kind of a. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. ambrosia type effects, but also yeah. anti-aging. It's very oh, vampiric. Yeah. Very vampiric. Yeah, the, yeah, the vampirism and the parasitism is runs oh, yeah. throughout the the fundamentalist <laughs> manifestations and iterations. It's it's true. It drains you. It drains you of something yeah. primal and, and and something spiritual. Yeah, that, you know the experience in the church and in the college was that they're that they're harvesting this youthful energy. Uh, for themselves, you know, to yes. get you on board with their dreams and their plans. And 
their visions of the future. But that's right. Your vision of the future doesn't enter into the equation at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it comes after you get out of it. Okay, what am I supposed to be dreaming about? And what am I supposed to be? That's right. What am I here for? They seem to know. That's one thing about them. They do know what they want. No, don't they? I mean, they do know what they're doing. Good point. We could actually learn from that. You know, learn from the unjust steward, as the rival says. You know. Very well said, and I agree. And then, you know, remodeling institutions in a, in a more holistic manner where rather than the top-down necessity of just joining the system as is, you know, in, in inserting yourself into the existing matrix, but supporting those visionaries who can see beyond it mm -hmm. and coming up with alternative currencies so that you can fund it without necessarily sponsoring your own, uh, I guess you'd say, abusers. Yeah. Well, one thing about being plugged in yeah. and then suddenly getting unplugged, you've been fulfilling somebody else's purpose for so long. Right. Suddenly being unplugged is traumatic because you don't know what to do. That's right. Because you're not used to fulfilling your own dreams or fulfilling your own purpose. So this comes out in that movie about Schmidt. Did you see that film? No, I've not seen this one. It was about, it's a good, it's a good movie because it really illustrates this very well it, with a kind of dark humor to it. It's about somebody who worked for a corporation all his life and then he retires and he just doesn't know what to do with himself. Mm. So he's at the Dairy Queen every morning, you know, wondering what to do. And, oh, I know. I'll go back into the office to see if I can be of help. Oh. Wow. It's, sad. it's really sad. Through sad and a kind of a dark humor to it through it. You know, you don't know whether to laugh or cry. So he goes, <laughs> in, he goes into the office and he sees all the work that he had done in his entire career in boxes headed for the incinerator. What? <laughs> yes. What a sight. And so he's he's um there's a new management team with a whole new vision, you know where to take the corporation, all the work that he did is suddenly not needed anymore, not relevant anymore. All of this is sort of like uh, the sadness of a person who having fulfilled someone else's purpose all his life doesn't know what his own purpose is. Yes. That's, oh, wow. That's a bit of revelation. Ultimately, you know, I, I, my, my gut instinct is that we're going to be able to move beyond that. And the internet is, has been, this ultimate catalyst because you know to you're seeing it now Andy Warhol prophesized right everyone will have their 15 minutes of fame but in reality everyone now has the ability to create their own following and it needn't be a following in the traditional sense it could be a like Miguel Miguel's created a system where all these intelligent individuals can share their respective beliefs Gnostic style mm. uh, and open up the floor for new insight and innovation continually and I think that's so inspiring because, and you know, our basic needs are are just that. They're simple, you know, shelter, food, community. What they've done is they've been, they've managed to pimp us. They've managed to turn us into their 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 beast of burden. And this great awakening versus the great reset seems to be another slave revolt potential, where the entire planet could go to different currencies like uh, crypto. Even though some of the crypto is linked to. Uh, symbolically and otherwise to our adversaries, but the concept of the technology is phenomenal because we could get away from usury 
and uh, start amassing wealth again because they've managed to siphon so much of our creativity. I mean, the taxation is just insane. The IRS has never been officially ratified. It's totally uh, Aaron Russo. Have, are you familiar with Aaron Russo's work with America from Freedom to Fascism? Phenomenal oh. documentary. He was a uh, he was actually the producer of Lethal Weapon with uh, Mel Gibson and okay. Danny Glover. He also managed Bette Midler. Uh, he came to realize that the IRS was totally fraudulent, and he made this amazing documentary, America from Freedom to Fascism, out about it. And in that, he documents how Nathan Rockefeller told him that 9-11 was going to happen before it happened. And so he died not long after the movie came out. He may have been killed. So he's oh. one of those American patriots that you know paid the ultimate price so that we could know the nature of these rulers and and how uh, deceptive and, and insidious they are. And then you you look into the uh, the connection to the mystery schools in these societies. Kubrick was a whistleblower. So, so many of his films, The Shining, Eyes Wide Shut, Full Metal Jacket. It's exposing. Uh, Clockwork Orange, exposing what the world is really like at a time where maybe we were still recovering from the traumas of World War One and Two, being shell shocked, uh, not able to to understand that no, they had ongoing uh, uh, an ongoing mission to really devastate us entirely, culminating with this great reset. So there was maybe a, a we had a bit of peacetime, in other words where some ma some wealth could be amassed, but it was really just fattening us up. And uh, yeah, he was a whistleblower. There's so many out there. Uh, what's the gentleman's name? He wrote Behold a Pale White Horse, or Behold a Pale Horse. Uh, goodness, I was just watching it last night. Babe, what's that guy's name from Behold a Pale Horse? Oh, she's, she's out. <laughs> It'll come to me later, but he, he was a... Uh, a whistleblower explaining that you know everything we've seen from school shootings to pharmacological assault unconsciousness he was forewarning this in the 90s and he was killed shortly he actually prophesied uh 9-11 and he was killed about two months after it happened he shot the death for tax evasion of all things and uh he stated explicitly you know i'm doing this for my daughter because i don't want her to be a slave to the new world order and so it Oh, man, phenomenal, phenomenal. And this is stuff that'll be in the, the second hour on the private site, not on YouTube, because they won't allow it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we really are facing some dark forces. But I think we far outnumber them. And the truck convoy gives me a lot of hope because there's something about people meeting communally and sharing love and that spirit that is or could really devastate them entirely. It's just getting the cameras pointed in the right direction. Yes, they. I mean, the the things that they were describing in Parliament, that Trudeau was describing in Parliament, um, he he had only to look out his window, right? To, and this, the world that he was describing, just wasn't there. You know, it just yes. was like a an inversion. Yes, an inversion. This is the the. Um, the anti-Maimon Numa, you know, the counterfeiting spirit, not only counterfeiting, but turning it to a purpose that's upside down from its original intention. Absolutely. Well, the Catholic Church, have you ever looked into the work of Joseph Atwell? No. It's totally phenomenal. He uh, he wrote a book called Caesar's Messiah. Um, oh, okay. I've heard of the book. Yes. Oh, yeah. it's, it's yeah. incredible. 
I've yet to see anyone effectively refute any of the core principles. Uh, essentially, what he did was he showed that the ministry of Jesus was a uh, typological uh, mirroring of an actual battle campaign of Titus Flavius through Judea, which culminated in the ransacking of the Second Temple. Then they co-opted Judaism, used Judaism as a scapegoat. So the now, yes, to be the money changers for the overt money changers for the covert force of the Roman Empire. Interesting. The empire yes. never ended. Never ended. It just went underground and 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 like a corporation rebranded itself. Like I think Blackwater became like XE Systems or something like that. And uh, it's just another technique they use. They put on a new face. They put on a new just... face. Absolutely. Same <laughs> thing with a new face. Yeah. With, same always, thing with what now? Always the same thing with a new face. Yes. <laughs> always shape-shifting. They're shape-shifters, you know, and chameleons. Yes, yes the trickster. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it is, it is so bizarre. And, you know, beyond time and space, I think our consciousness holds the key. It's something like... Uh, the Buddhist monk who self-immolates, you know, there's a part of you that can't be destroyed, but you can, you can bring attention to things while you're here that can transform it utterly for the rest of the people who are capable of seeing. Yeah. And, you know, they've been attacking our pineal gland through fluoridation and, and other uh, pharmacological means because now, you know, they don't filter out the SSRIs that so many people are on. So if you're drinking tap water, you're essentially getting dosed. With yes. the collective swill. Yeah. Bizarre. But if you have access to nature and clean water, I think it can be rehabilitated. I think there's mm. ways to open right back up. And, but, you know, you need a place to come down to earth, so to speak, and reintegrate. And that, I think that's what psilocybin can offer. Uh, are you familiar with Bill Hicks, the comedian? Yes. Yeah, he had a wonderful story about doing mushrooms with his friends here. In Actually, he's from Austin, I want to say. Uh, but here in Texas, he had done the heroic dose with his friends and he'd seen a UFO seen, yeah, he'd seen, uh, extraterrestrials come out and he'd had this sense of total oneness and connection with nature. And he was so brilliant. He would talk about it in a comedic, um, and his, during his shows, oh, mm. it was incredible. And I remember seeing him as a child and saying, I just felt it even before he really said much. I just like, this man's changed. And I wonder if that's related to the chrism or the anointing, the holy anointing oil, which just really is a catalyst for uh, DMT, which is, this is actually from my friend Arun Voot, uh, mm -hmm. who's written written about DMT extensively. And uh, DMT seems to be this gateway uh, catalyst to these other dimensions. That's what have you ever uh, I have. I have heard of it. I, uh, it was McKenna who yes. mentioned something about that. He said that, if you take DMT, you will get elves. <laughs> so I suppose it must be opening up some portal to a different dimension. I agree. And, all, and these I think... things, all these things and experiences just uh, you know, significantly challenge your conception of, conception of reality. That it's so much more and what we've been conditioned to believe, we've been shut down, you know, in in our personal explorations and experimentations, you know, don't go there, don't go there, you know. And even in the history, they try to erase 
ancient history because I noticed first off when I got to Peru that the older the site was, the more mm. amazing was the the accomplishments of that civilization. Right. Um, there's one it's place. The same in uh, Egypt. Yeah, same in Egypt. The older the older it was, which challenges the perception that or the popular conception that we go from primitive to advanced. You know, that's right. It looks like you go further back and you're entering into a greater period of advancement. Right. There was one site called, I don't know how to pronounce it, so I always just say sexy human. So mm -hmm. say who I'm on. That's it. That's it. I think that's you, how you say it. You did it better than I did. Yeah. <laughs> I could be wrong too. <laughs> there they have these amazing monstrous blocks mm. with no gap whatsoever between them. And you know, you couldn't put a pin in there. All yes. cut perfectly. And yes. how did they lift them? How did they get them there? You know, nobody knows. Nobody knows. You had some crazy theories, but they know where they came from. They came from a quarry. Mm. And somehow they got them there and somehow they cut them and somehow they got them stacked up. But the newer stuff is very impressive, but not as impressive as the older stuff. You know? Yes. And, and that's all over the planet. We see that that same phenomenon where the, the older, the more antiquated the site, the, the more un, misunderstood or not understood the, the construction techniques. And some things that look like they could have been formed by lasers almost like the vitrification of stone where it's turned into glass you mm -hmm. know it requires a certain temperature you know how are they capable of melting stone you know four six thousand years ago you know it's it belies our understanding given the the uh, mainstream narratives were fed but i think that's that's the war you know that is the memory holding of the previous ages of consciousness and it seems to align with the uh the periodic cycles of change and, and the great ages as, as spoken of in the Upanishads and other, the yugas and other uh, ancient uh, documents and scriptures where, you know, there was a time where mankind was much more advanced than we had devolved. So it kind of aligns with the Garden of Eden motif where we had a fall from grace. And um, we may be on the upswing because we, we recently had one culmination with 2012 of the great year cycle being 26,000 years that 2012 represented the beginning of the fifth great age, according to the Maya, but also the ending of a great year cycle and the beginning of a new one. And so, and rather than just concentric circles, but being seen as a outward spiral where a greater and greater consciousness could again, uh, well, it could go either way. You know, we could continuously devolve and reach a point and then explode outward again or the reverse we could be reaching a higher echelon uh spiraling outward and uh doing things like you know colonizing space and finding out there's no need for resource war because we have infinite resources available uh, but we appear to have to meet the ai gods <laughs> in an, in this new war and somehow you know bring them to heal or subdue them before we can get much further or maybe integrate with them. I don't know how I feel about that. To be honest, it seems like mm. yeah, I, I have no desire to inject a neural link inside of my my no. brain, even if it enhanced my productivity. It's like to what end? <laughs> yes, to what end? Yeah. I think we have to hang on to our humanity and on yes. to what uh, to our divinity, which yes. is the thing that distinguishes us from the archons and from the demiurge. 
the archons and the demiurge can only imitate. They can only copy. Hmm. They can't innovate and they can't create. That's why they need us. Maybe they need us. Good point. To make their plans work. Maybe they're, they're trying to harvest our creative potential capability and potential, which is the divine one. In the sacred, in the secret book of John, there's a passage which describes how the demiurge was tricked into surrendering the divine light of Sophia mm. by giving it to the, the, the human. So the human had that divine creativity, but then demiurge lacked it. Now they, yeah. now they need us to fulfill their purposes. And wow. we have to wake up to the trick. Uh, it's like uh, that event seems to describe their demise. It's like we are kind of a virus to them. You know, it's mm. like remember the, the, the war of the worlds with the tripods. Nothing could defeat them. Yes. It was like they'd throw tanks into the battle and fighter jets and bombs and everything just bounced off of it. Mm. And then one day out of the blue, they found all these tripods were failing and all these creatures were falling out of them. And it was a tiny little virus, you know, that was killing them off, invisible to the naked eye, you know. <laughs> so it's like uh, we're in a new kind of um, warfare. Yeah. We don't want to be caught fighting the old war. As has happened so often in the past, you know, glorious cavalry charges and into Gatling guns, and uh, we want to realize the nature of the war we're in. It's an, it's a, the wizard war, as Churchill coined that phrase. And he would have known because he was most likely linked to these secret societies as a druid, mm -hmm. and he's you know he's he's made a saint, but the reality is he conspired on so many levels to make World War II happen to his own ends. And this is mm -hmm. another paradigm that. You know, you're not allowed to question the Holocaust. You're not, you know, and it's like you said, if you, if you look at the documents, like why would you fear questioning something unless there's something that you don't want to come out? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm Jewish because my mother is Jewish, but I've never practiced any form of Judaism. I have no interest in, in adhering to any spiritual path because of my, you know, genotypes or phenotypes. I think that's all hogwash. Uh, but it is interesting to think that in our modern era, people would presume that I could potentially question it more than any other human because of that fact. Uh, but to me, I think a lie is a lie. And they've already, uh, the 6 million number has already been completely discredited in regards to the, how many people died during the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that will put you in prison in Germany. And they actually, they put an 80-year-old plus woman who uh, had documents supporting that people that were placed in some of these so-called concentration camps had in fact been treated very well and so mm. the whole thing to me seems like one of these a lot like covid you know you can't make heads or tails of it right now there's no they've never isolated the virus the pcr tests are fraught with false positives you've got they have the capacity to uh vaccinate you without you knowing with technology with that's in this with, with the test mm -hmm. so you know, we have to be able to question everything. And anyone who purports to have the final say is usually the ultimate tyrant. And uh, of course, when you look at things like the foundation of the state of Israel, the Balfour Declaration, 
these are all things that are related to the Freemasonic desire to create the new temple. And this is uh, established that among Jews that they should feel guilt if they don't rebuild the temple in their generation. And so I have friends who are Jewish who've lived in Israel and they tell me about the pressures and, and the brainwashing and it's immense. Not to mention all the, the guilt programming that there are these special victims throughout the world, but never mind that, that you know usury or money change, you could have anything to do with that. I mean, yeah, if you come into a population and you end up enslaving them, they're going to not like you, whoever you are. But it's actually Zionism, not Judaism. And that goes back to Atwell's hypothesis regarding uh, the Roman Empire, essentially destroying them and then wearing their face when they're commencing to rob the population, the global population. Whenever they need a convenient scapegoat, they can just burn whoever they want by presuming to be them. So it seems to be this this uh, ultimate trickster just can make us war with each other, make us shed our own blood, destroy one another, and then collect the spoils of war. And, and uh, I don't know why that should be so controversial, honestly. I mean, isn't that what we see? I mean, uh, we've got Vietnam. My father was a Vietnam veteran. You know, he was poor his entire life, and he ends up fighting in a conflict in the jungle at the behest of these, these uh, New World Order elite yeah. who faked the Gulf of, Gulf of Tonkin event, which was the 9-11 of the times. Right. So, right. And then, you know, and then they, they poison him with Agent Orange, so he dies of diabetes and organ failure uh so that they don't yeah so they they know what they're doing and i'm i'm just so sick of people being so afraid and i get it because yeah they can take your job they can take your livelihood but if you have community support if you have people who love you if you have prayer if you have a belief in a higher power you'll be guided right the, I that totally yeah yeah in fact one of the very positive repercussions of everything that's been happening here is I've been discovering people in the community and we've been getting together and it's been wonderful. It's been like a, a hey. renaissance in the community. Hey. I was just at an event yesterday and we're all seeing things that's happening and uh, the love at that meeting was just bring tears to your eyes, you know, and People are moving in here because of inflation and skyrocketing. People are yeah. looking for more independence. They're looking to unplug. They're looking to, yes. to disconnect from this system, which I think is the new way. This is the new warfare. Mm. Unplug, disconnect. That's the new warfare. They have spent years building up higher and higher levels of dependency. Yes. So now we have to figure out how to start unplugging, disconnecting before they actually disconnect us for disobedience. But then having disconnected ourselves, we know how to make it. And we're going to make it through community. So th things are happening here in this little community that I, I thought I had to go to Sedona for. You know, there was a young girl at the, at the meeting from Toronto. No, not yeah, originally from Toronto. And she was giving me this tarot reading. It was just incredible. It was like Sedona was coming to me. And mm. these, these aren't the kinds of people that normally are around here. They're farmers and 
fishermen and loggers and we're kind of in the boonies, you know. Yeah. But to see and all these people, there was this big mansion full of people that had been moving in, all united, and all we're thinking to ourselves, how can we disconnect? Yes. How can we disconnect? And we're talking uh, local currencies, you know, to get the ultimate control is the money. Yes. And we're talking local currencies that are thriving in many communities. And we're talking, well, you can't always be everything. You can't do everything. You can't be, especially at my age, you can't be the ultimate farmer, you know. So who's farming? You know, how can I support you? Yes. In your farming efforts. And who's an electrician? Who's a plumber? Who's an ex-policeman? Who's a... We're going to have to start doing things ourselves. Yes. And this was a, this was a concept called the parallel structure. Hmm. I think that term was invented by Yakslav Havel. He was a former uh, president of, of uh, Czechoslovakia when it was a communist country. So that was their strategy then, was the parallel structure. Yes. Treat it like it doesn't exist. You know, What do we do without it? But we've been so conditioned to get, they're always trying to hook you onto some new dependency. Yes. It's so true. And and disconnecting and then reconnecting with each other in nature, right. re- remembering, remembering, coming together again. Remembering, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And recognition, mm-hmm. recognizing who we are mm-hmm. and that they have no power over us if we just refuse to play into those enticing, you know, tricks where yeah. it's 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 the same game. It's always an empty Hollywood Babylonian type of ego uh, fixated culture that is sick and depraved, and it, and it leads you down to the it leads you into debauchery. It leads you into essentially a lower state of consciousness where you can't connect, you can't feel love the same way. So you overcompensate. You end up looking for materialism and symbols and status. Ah, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. They can't really have that wonderful experience in Ottawa of uh, celebration and love and they can't do it. No. They don't have it. They don't have it. So all well, they, they can have is more and more power, more and more control. <laughs> more and more empty selfies and you know cellulite you know celluloid dreams just projected into walls. And really, you know, it's like a temple. You know, the, the movie screen or the television screen and the flicker rate, it's, it, the medium is the message. It's all designed to subdue our consciousness and make us enslaved to their dream world. But, yes. you know, we, but we turn it off and we create an alternative and they can't compete because at the end of the day, what they have to offer is utterly empty. And they tell us what the end result is. You know, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. And they project it through. They've managed to co-opt most of the great artists of our era uh well yes and no i think someone like stanley kubrick is one of the greatest artists because he was able to subvert them with their own techniques and expose them interesting yeah have you ever seen eyes wide shut oh yes Mm -hmm. there's some really great breakdowns uh showing how he's revealing the hidden hand of power and ultimately what their magic is based in which is you know uh communing with these these entities on the other side of the veil offering up what is precious in various regards whether it's children or sex or sexual energy 
you could say Archie or Prana. So mm -hmm. they would do mass orgies and it's yeah. kind of, yeah, it's, it's really strange stuff. And of course, sacrifices, literally killing people, uh, the wicker man, uh, you know, all these, the sacrificing of virgins, uh, Graham Hancock wrote a great book called war God. Yeah. Describe, oh yeah. Phenomenal. And, and describing this process where you have, uh, I think it's Huitzil Apache. I think that's the name of the deity or hummingbird. Who is this trickster deity who essentially, you know, co-ops Moctezuma and, and gets him to sacrifice his own people in mass genocidal scale and to what end, you know, and telling them, oh, well, this will prevent the apocalypse when it's actually bringing on the apocalypse, so to speak. Uh, yeah, it is. It is something bizarre, but the it's been I, going on for a very long time, hasn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And this this whole Q phenomenon, like. It's interesting because it resonates at least as a homophone with the Q, the source code of the Gospels. But then, uh, yeah. Source code, yeah, Q. Mm, interesting, yeah. Quele. I think that's how you pronounce it. But but then you have, you know, it's become su totally suppressed online. Like they, they kicked off anyone and everyone on YouTube who was covering that in any way, shape, or form. But the the material is there. You have to go to BitChute, and a great resource is a guy named Mr. Truth Bomb. And he's got dozens of documentaries uh, really covering every aspect of the last five years of the Great Awakening and showing how uh, Trump, with this military intelligence agency, General Flynn, Admiral Rogers, and others, had uh, the capacity to upend them and to move around them and to get the information to the people in spite of them. Uh, this, this phase of the operation is distressing and unfortunate, but it may ultimately be uh, necessary, and it may involve another form of Q, quantum computing, which is, seems to be like, uh, it could be a slippery slope, but it could be the capacity to, in a sense, communicate with the all in this ultimate spiritual battle and seek some type of divinatory guidance it's all strange stuff you know the romans had augurs so they would have the augurs reading the movement of birds to predict you know uh, the potential outcomes of battles beforehand and now we have you know quantum computers doing something similar yeah. so <laughs> the more things change but um yeah it's all it's all interesting to me and i i've always felt like a heretic i've always felt like someone who if you tell me i'm not supposed to question something that's exactly what i want to question because Yes, totally. And that gives me hope. And, and I love to hear that people are just spontaneously converging in Ottawa, converging in rural areas, and they have these psychic gifts and they have this capacity. So there was a girl doing your tarot reading, and it seemed, seemed to relay some very pertinent information to you. Yes. Is that recently? Always been rewarding, I found. There's, astrology is real. Psychic yes. phenomena are real. I've done enough and seen enough to know that that's true. Yes. And so you have that gnosis, and, and so do I. And, and I think that's something where the left-brain-dominant paradigm, uh, if you see Sophie as the, as the great mother or as the, the right hemisphere, you know, yes. reint reintegrating with nature in that way could be part of our, our medicine. And that could be like Athena born from Zeus's head giving us the, the proper battle plan to uh, ignore these people into non-existence. Non-exist them. Yeah, don't uh, engage no. with them. <laughs> Good point. Come out like, from apart. Come out from amongst them and be you separate. Says in the New Testament. 
come say that again please come out from, come apart from them it's come out that says come out from a mm. come out from amongst them and be you separate yes yes i love it and and i've heard the statistic that only three to five percent of the american population was involved in the revolutionary war so we you don't necessarily need statistic yeah too because uh right. that came to me also during this recent these recent events that uh, it doesn't take a majority to create a revolution yes by no means i think that's i think they're totally terrified right now actually i agree <laughs> i mean they're panicking. they're panicking i mean they're just they're they're panicking so much that they're revealing themselves yes prematurely probably before they intended to you know but now it's all coming out yes the and they think they think they're going to get to people ultimately through the money i, yes. I mentioned to you earlier they've been freezing bank accounts of uh, people who've contributed money to the to the convoy and also the accounts of the truck drivers themselves wow it is and backfiring because people are now seeing gofundme that's another mechanism of control where mm -hmm. you know they, they, these blackrock vanguard monopolies need to be broken up they only exist through charters which could be revoked i, I think in in your book you brought up the uh the absolute sovereignty of parliament and how parliament yes yes and so we're just reclaiming that sovereignty and recognizing and this has been the the this has been the battle behind the scenes with the money changers since the advent of the American uh, Republic is really finding out how to get out from under them. So Lincoln, of course, Kennedy, both assassinated because they challenged that power. That's ultimately the linchpin. Trump, a lot of people don't realize this, but he actually filed the Federal Reserve under the secretary. And apparently that that switcheroo, if you will, that that restructuring of that system was enough to defuse them in large part. And I, I don't actually think that Biden is the president. There's a lot of information supporting that he wasn't appropriately sworn in. Uh, just like Obama, his, if anyone's ever looked for themselves, he never had a, a birth certificate, an American birth certificate. I challenge anyone out there, show me it. Look into the fact that the woman that certified it supposedly in Hawaii dies mysteriously in a plane crash, that all of his records are sealed going back to Occidental College you know, that he's essentially a CIA creation. And, uh, you know, this could be said of so many people, they have fatal flaws. Uh, so many of the presidents that were essentially skull and bones members like John, you know, uh, uh, George W. Bush running against John Kerry, it's all, it's all a giant charade where the elite are giving us the pretense of, of affecting control in our republic. And then you have actual populist President Trump manages to win. And what do they do subsequently? They they utilize COVID as the means to stuff the ballots and steal the election on paper. Right. right but then right. it was actually documented. And they had cyber ninjas in Arizona doing in Maricopa County, which is traditionally a red state, red, red county, Republican dominated, suddenly flips for Biden out of nowhere. One of the most popular presidents in American history, Donald Trump, suddenly loses Joe Biden. This makes no sense. All the exit polls, all of the all of the forensic data that could support that the election was stolen has now been certified. And so it seems the storm is brewing and the stage is set and the trucker revolt seems to be uh, showing the people their power again. 
after two years of this menace. So I hope that it all culminates in humanity uh, throwing off these archons forever. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Some strange days we live in, but I'm glad to be alive. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, the potential that the American dream holds for the world in its purest sense yes. could, could be reignited. Well, I think that's behind the assault of postmodernism on culture mm. on history. They're trying to, to negate our heritage of individuality yes. and personal freedom and liberty and constitutional government. They're trying to associate that with something bad. Like recently, Trudeau has tried to make the idea of freedom a far right concept. <laughs> so there again, it's the assault on the culture. Yes. Uh, and our history and uh, to pave the way for a whole new political and economic system that is alien to that. Yes. The idea that we would give all our freedom to some anonymous group of technocrats who have absolute control through unlimited amounts of information which they're harvesting from us is something that we're supposed to be happy about, you know, or feel comfortable with. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. Yeah, lots of people are comfortable with it. Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Let's go with it, you know. Well, and then it's so strange because uh, Brave New World, uh, Aldous Huxley, he was essentially, it was a manifesto. It was another one of these revelation of the method, uh, predictive programming manifestos where they tell you what they plan to do to you as part of their necessity as, as fulfilling that natural law requirement to, like the vampire, they need our permission to enter in. That's what it is, yes. I, I suspected that, that it would be something like that, that they need our permission. We have yes. to be complicit. Yes. So we have to... really, it really underlines we are in control. That's it, right. We are in control. They we can't are do in... anything without our permission. That's right. And then and then being a martyr is not such a you know bad fate if yes. you know if you realize that you have that greater power. I think Dr. King really tapped into that. So when he, if he was arrested, it would wake up that many more people to say, you know what, there's someone willing to suffer, Christ like. Mm -hmm. bear those burdens and those sins for us so i i you know i'm going to help my brother i'm going to help my my fellow man yeah. and it, it ignites it, it it's the catharsis it ignites the heart it, it and speaking of the cafars you know they would they were suppressed yes but their memory is always present in the akashic record i guess you could say or the collective memory and mm -hmm. i think at, at these times of great uh change and, and revolution you know, we can tap into that that history where the heroes of all eras could could steady our gaze and and give us great power to finally reveal these people for what they are. They're just they're Satanists. You know, they they worship evil. They they mm -hmm. they are lost souls if they even have souls. And they're totally it's like wonder. You know, it's like like invasion of the body snatchers or something. <laughs> yeah. <You know. laughs> totally, they're they're hollowed out. There's a, there's a verse in the Bible about willing ignorance, which goes to our discussion about um, complicity. Yes. Some people are willingly, they want to be ignorant. They, 
They want to be deceived. And mm. How do you get past that? It's, uh, it's tough. I think one of the big things is exposing people to alternatives. Yes. That's huge. It certainly applies to how I escaped from the wizard in my history is that uh, the very people that he would say would don't listen to them, they're evil, they're possessed of the devil, you know, devil got to them and they're, they're, you know, the usual demonization of the opposition phenomenon. So I, I just, at one point I just said, well, I'm just going to being, you know, a, a, I have this natural fascination with people or books, anything that's banned or they don't want me to read or look at. I just have this insatiable curiosity about it. And so I started listening to this. And, oh, all the lights start going on all of a sudden, you know, because all I had was another way of looking at it. That's all right. it took. Another way of looking at it. Yes. And if you're just glued to the TV every day for that, for that news hit, you know, wow, you're just going to be living in a completely different universe than what actually exists. And all you have to do is, I'm sure that the people who are milling around, and even the police officers that were milling around uh, Ottawa during the, the love fest that was going on there mm. uh, must have seen that what they were what they were being told was not true. And that is why it became a state of emergency. Yes. It became a state of emergency because they couldn't get the Ottawa police force to go along with it. The head of the Ottawa police department was a hand-picked Klaus Schwab guy. Ah. But he couldn't get his guys to go along with it, you see. Amazing. I heard some figures of huge 40% resignations and, so what do they do? They bring in all these people from the outside. There's rumors that they might not even be, even be Canadians. Right. Mercenaries. UN. So, yeah, you, they were planes photographed. Uh, UN markings. I yeah. don't doubt it. And that's what the UN has always been about. And that's what uh, uh, Alex Jones has been warning us, uh, Ron Paul, so many great patriots saying, look, the United Nations, is it's all pretense for the New World Order. They don't yes. have... And they're associated with heinous crimes, sex trafficking, uh, uh, wherever they go, there's an, there's an uptick in so much violence. And it, it appears to be that that's their cover. You know, we're, we're the good guys. We're here to restore world order. No, you're not. You're actually minions of the devil. And wherever you go, hell on earth is, is erected. And yeah, that's what they do. They disrupt sovereignty. They come in and they become this paramilitary support. But, you know, Ultimately, we have the right to unmask them. So Canadians should say, what's your badge number? What's your name? Where, where are you? If you're not Canadian, you have no power here. And, and, slate, and put them in jail immediately. Citizens yeah. arrest. You know? this is, we go back to natural law. Citizens yes. arrest. That's, That's what our new communities can be doing. We can go to the common law, a thousand years old, a thousand years of tradition. Hey. Wonderful. And it, I love that you're so conversant and knowledgeable and that you're able to art, like your most recent blog post I shared on Sacred Geometry International. And mm -hmm. uh, I encourage everyone to read it because uh, the difference between the, the legal positivism versus the natural law, the moral law is as stark as it gets. And all we have to do is stand on it. And That's our ancestors right. surely did. And as you said, a thousand years of history, a thousand years of, of, uh, of, of evidence for this. It's time we just stand up. And I'm so proud of 
all the truckers doing this and, and all the people supporting them. I love it. Yes, slavery was eliminated in uh, 1772 in England and Wales because of the common law. Wow. And the judge in the case who freed an African slave who was scheduled to be shipped out and sold in the Caribbean, uh, Lord Mansfield was his name, he said uh, that slavery was inimicable to the common law. That was his decision, yes. which meant was, which what he meant was, it always has been. Yes. It's inimicable to the common law. And he made his decision and then his private, his public remark was, um, let justice be done though the heavens fall. Wow. So he was appealing to natural law by saying, this is going to be an earthquake, but let justice be done though the heavens fall. He's going to upset a lot of entrenched interests, yes. economic, economic interests. Um, so that's the power of the common law, which was developed by the people. That's right. Um, we have something in America called the uh, Fully Informed Jurors Association or FIGA.org. And um, essentially what a lot of people have not been informed of their rights is that if they are serving on a jury, they have the right to hang any jury and they, they can disagree with the judge and the law in principle based on their conscience at any given time. And interesting, interesting. That happened, you know, you may have met, uh, noticed in my book, I talk about my friend Andrew, who was, uh, yes, took on a lot of interesting cases that way. He, uh, I don't know, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but uh, he actually had a case where the jury went against what the judge instructed them to do. Wow. <laughs> and they just, they followed their instinct. And, and this is what I might, I have great respect, great respect for ordinary people, just the, the blue collar people, the, the farmers, the, and uh, the workers, you know, yes. as you know, depicted in the, the, um, the Wizard of Oz, you know, the tin man was the industrial worker, the straw man was, uh, you know, agricultural worker and uh, Dorothy represented the average citizen and uh, in the analogy, there was a lot of not a lot of analogies running through the Wizard of Oz, spiritual and temporal. It was an analogy for monetary reform. <clears throat> McKinley was um, the wizard, and uh, Morgan and Rockefeller were the wicked witches, hmm. were pulling his strings. Uh, yes, and he, he was, and the uh, cowardly lion that was. Um, William Jennings Bryant, who was uh, a presidential candidate, a brilliant orator. And they, he was the cowardly lion because they were disappointed in him. They wanted him to be part of their monetary reform movement, but he got distracted to by the opium trade and fighting the opium trade, and he got lost in a field of poppies. Uh. So there's a lot of this kind of symbolism running through it because they were hiding. They were a secret society. Yes. They were trying to be cryptic in everything they did. But it comes shining through in The Wizard of Oz, the idea of people power, you know, and it's in the end, it's not the wizard, it's the community, the people that 
were around Dorothy and her neighbors. Were, they could help each other. That's right. You could make, uh, you know, somebody could make up for the straw man's lack of brain power, you know. <laughs> it's always somebody to fill the deficiencies. Put a bunch of people together, that it zeroes out all the deficiencies. The wisdom of the tribe and that holistic Gnostic appeal to everyone's uniqueness playing a role. Right. And then, yeah. and then having a non-hierarchical space where you could gather on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I experienced it best through martial arts training, where of course you have your you have your shihan or you have your uh, kaicho or senseis, your lead instructors. But oftentimes I found that it was it was not always they who were the best instructors. They may just hold the the form, but uh -huh. it may you know it might be someone that's a lower grade belt, but they just because of their own deficiency, they've they've manufactured and manifested a new technique. This happened with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. One of the uh, the heads of the modern Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu movement was uh, Helio Gracie, and he was very sickly as a child. Uh -huh. But what he, but he was in uh, he was very studious, and in his desire to overcome his limits, he actually became the greatest fighter, and he became the greatest instructor. And it was his sensitivity that enabled him to innovate because he couldn't rely on brute strength. He had to overcome. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at the Old Testament, a mythology of the Old Testament, which is very ancient beyond the Old Testament. Story of Moses. Moses was no Charleston Heston, according mm -hmm. to the story, according to the account. According <laughs> to the account, he argues with God and he says, I can't do this. You know, I, I just don't have the confidence. I just... I don't have the ability to speak, you know, and this kind of thing. Right. And he has this argument with God, you know, and God gets kind of impatient with him. And he says, okay, he says, I'll whisper it in your ear and you tell your brother Aaron what to tell Pharaoh. <laughs> and so it was like, um, this runs throughout mythology. This, um, they're not the, necessarily the, the Charleston Heston, you know, types. Right. Uh, you see it with um, uh, even the you know, the legend of King Arthur. He was a squire or a servant. And all these knights were trying to pull the sword out of the stone, but they couldn't do it. And they give up and he walks by. And oh, what's this doing here? How'd it come? To... <laughs> it's true. First in the Old Testament, you know, the, the stone which the builders rejected has right. become the head of the corner. That's running throughout mythology. You know, Absolutely. Jonah, reluctance, you know, reluctance to fulfill their role, the, to, to take the hero's journey, the reluctance to do so. Yes. But perhaps it's their deficiencies which causes them to have to rely mm. more um, on higher power. Good point. And their, and their willingness to surrender and, and, and humility merge with that power. So it's like they had the 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 receptivity to that instruction right and the willingness to humble themselves in pursuit of it yeah they were the least likely for it to go to their head yes there's a verse about noses he was uh extremely meek it said more meek than any other man that walked the face of the earth interesting this guy's not going to be the one to let it go to his head yes and I think there's even a tradition amongst native peoples that the one who wants to be chief is not the one we want for chief. <laughs> you know. 
I like that. These are those are great examples, every single one. And and there there's something to that principle. It's like in in not seeking, you find. That's right. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Adrian, wow. I think I think that's about it. Uh, I think we've covered a lot of bases here, and I really look forward yeah. to putting this out there. I want I want a lot of people to pick up, go pick up his book, guys. If you uh, if you're a philosopher and and you love to see modern scholars who you know are, are willing to be heretics in pursuit of the truth, then support them, and that energy comes back to you. You know, but, you know, we have people who are so well off that they just they're almost gluttons for power at this point. They don't need your energy. You know? Yes, that's for sure. <laughs> Support your local philosophers and, and independent and scholars <laughs> and your own sheriffs. Yes. Local sheriff. <laughs> Support your local. Yeah. Talk to your local sheriff, you know, become get to know him. Yeah. I get to know him or her. Yeah. Buy him, buy him lunch. Let him know you appreciate them. Go local. Go local. And uh, I look forward to doing this again with you someday soon. Yeah, and wonderful. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Absolutely. Always. So I, I'll, I'll be in touch soon. Great. And, uh, thank you so much for your great work. Thank you for sharing your story with all of us, because it is, I think a lot of people will be very inspired and they'll, that you have so much wisdom to offer them. So I hope they will pursue their own gnosis, pursue their own path. Yes. Yes. And, and 